This is a recording of a talk that I, Richard Lang, gave to an online meeting of the Denver Zogchen community on August the 16th, 2023. The meeting was hosted by my friend Joe Wagner and you can find out more about the Denver Zogchen community at denverzogchen.com. Enjoy. I'm guessing that probably people don't know much about the Headless Way. Some do, some don't. Feel free to uh, introduce them. All right. Well, I'll just, uh, I don't know you and uh, I would like to know more about you, but there isn't time. So I love meeting people and uh, finding out what's going on there. But I, uh, I'm here, I suppose, to to share what I go around sharing. I've just been in uh, Newport, Oregon, for a four-day workshop, right overlooking the uh, Pacific with uh, 38 people. Marvelous. And I came across the Headless Way uh, more than 50 years ago. And uh, it uh, impressed me with its truth and its simplicity and its effectiveness in terms of uh, sharing it. And so I will uh, um, invite you to explore a little bit now. Uh, and uh, it is uh, an exploration of what you are. And as well as the one you see on the screen, which is you as a person and uh, your individual identity. And I can see mine somewhere, or I could. Um, alongside that is... Uh, ah, there we are. Alongside our appearance, which you can see on the screen, there is our reality, our true nature, our Buddha nature, I suppose you might call it. And uh, I think you'll know all about it. I'm really speaking to the converted here, I should think, <laughs> if uh, that's the right way of putting it. But your Buddha nature is boundless and still and quiet and includes everything and uh, is reality. And it's the one, I, this is me speaking for myself. So I'm going to speak as if I'm speaking for you, but obviously... Uh, only take on board as much as makes sense and is true for you. So I, I, when I look out now at the screen, including Richard there, and I see all your faces, but I don't see my own face here. I can't see my own face. And I say that instead of being behind a face here, looking over at you face to face, it's face to no face. And I'm looking out of a, a space here, a single eye, that includes you and is space for you and there's no dividing line. So uh, we developed a, a series of awareness exercises to bring our attention to this. And uh, someone said to me a day or two ago, this is radical subjectivity. Uh, and another person said, how, how wonderful to, to be the authority on something. And the authority she was, something she was talking about was herself. Being the authority on yourself and being aware of your subjective point of view in the most simple way. So if you don't mind playing along and being like a five-year-old, uh, I'm going to invite you to do something simple. And um, 
what I'm going to ask you to do is direct your attention outward at the screen and then direct your attention inward at your Buddha nature. So it's as simple as that. <laughs> <laughs> so all you do, and this is where you've got to be like a child, is you point. And if you point at me or point at anyone, any other face on the screen, actually point to direct your attention. So, you know, that's where you've got to play along with me and not be too embarrassed about looking silly. Now, Joe is recording this, so and it will go on the internet. So, <laughs> <laughs> so but I'm used to looking at no, it won't. Anyway, you point and you look down your finger at whatever you're pointing at. So it's directing it, it's a pointing out instruction. You'll have heard of those, <laughs> right? Absolutely. Yeah, pointing out. So you've got to lit, you know, pointing out instructions are not complex. Why we get confused is because they're so simple and direct and honest and valid and true. And we're looking for something complicated. So when you point, point at my face, if you like, you're pointing at a face as a thing. You can see that. It's attention. See, Now, all I'm going to ask you to do is turn your finger all the way around and point back at where you imagine your own face to be. Now, when you do this, I think it's good to look away from the screen so you're not looking at me as well. And just have your finger far enough away so you can focus on it. Now, this is the pointing. That was the pointing out part of the exercise. This is the pointing in. And do you see your face there? See, not think or imagine. Well, I don't. I, I don't find my face here. I can see the rim of my glasses. I can see my nose. But no face, no head. I'm pointing into empty space, openness. See? clarity, Buddha nature, I say, which has always been there. You you know that. Uh, this is not anything new for you, I'm sure. This is what you've always been looking out of. I'm not showing you anything new. I don't think I'm showing you anything you don't know. But anyway, that's up to you. Now what I'd like you to do is point with the other hand at the same time out. So we call this two-way attention, one in and one out. And then again, don't look at me, look at, because you'll just get distracted. Just have your one finger pointing in, one out. So that outward pointing out finger is back out pointing at a table or a chair or a shadow or whatever things. The world of 10,000 things, right? And the one pointing in, I say, is pointing at nothing. No thing, space, stillness, the kind of non-experience. The void, your Buddha nature. But can you find a dividing line between the space you're looking out of and the things you're looking at? I can't. No dividing line. I can distinguish between the things there and the no thing here, but I can't separate them. Now, this I call looking at your no face or being aware of the space or looking at your single eye or just being aware of the place you're looking from. And uh, again, I'm sure you're aware of this. I don't think I'm telling you, you know, that I think I'm telling you something you don't know. I, I'm not thinking that. I'm sharing something, but using my language, which is probably different from yours. But, you know, that's how we sometimes uh, see things from a new point of view is a different language. Now, we're just starting visually and we'll do a bit of closed eye meditation. But put your hands like horse blinders if you would. And then again, look away from the screen 
at your room or wherever and notice how big your hands are. This is radical subjectivity, okay? Because you know that for, if someone else was looking at you, you'd have your hands either side of your face and it'd be quite small. But from the subjective point of view, I say the hands are like giant hands. They're huge. And between my hands, I don't see my face. I see the world. And I take this seriously. From my point of view, I'm not behind a face here. I am open. I include everything. The world, I've got the world inside of my face. See. So I'm just going to keep moving forward and we can have a little time for any reflections, responses, questions. Uh, you can sue me if you like. <laughs> yeah, I should... Is that, is that appropriate to say? That's I mean, very American of you. Yeah, I thought so. Okay. <laughs> They're going to cover your faces. Anyway, <laughs> here's your true nature, you see. So you can point at it. I say I can point it. I'm pointing at it now. Uh, I'll just say one or two things about it before we do something else. Is that this is not a wow. I mean, it might be, but it's not necessarily a wow. So if you are thinking to yourself, I don't feel any different. Exactly. That's it. It's a kind of non-experience. So if you don't feel wow, if you don't, you know, if you think, so what? I can't see my head. I think that's a very good starting point because so what is a question? So what? So what if I can't see my head? Exactly. Well, what do you see instead? I see the world, but so what? Well, uh, then I say that when I look at you, here's a so what, here's an answer to so what, and you can look at me now. When you look at, when I'm looking at someone and I'm noticing I'm headless, I'm noticing it's face there to no face here. I can't see my own face. I can't see my own face separating me from you. I am built open for you. I have your face instead of my own. So here I am using language you may have not heard of before. You may have. But if you can relax and just open yourself to a different point of view, my point of view, as it were, my language, without rushing into, I don't expect you doing this, you know, kind of object. Just relax and go for the ride, you see. Because my experience here, what I'm doing is I'm sharing my experience here. My experience is when I'm with people, I'm noticing them and I'm looking at them, If you know, unless they're uncomfortable. I'm just looking at you, at, uh, if you were in front of me, and I'm noticing I can't see Richard. I'm talking literally like a child. And so I say to myself, I am capacity for you. I have your face instead of my own. And I believe you're in the same condition, that you don't see your face right where you are, where you are pointing. Instead, you're built open for me or for the other person. So, this is perspective, radical subjectivity. Objectively, if you and I were in a room with each other talking, and there was a third person in the room, objectively that person would see us head to head, face to face, distance between us like this. 
And I can imagine that and go out and imagine I'm face to face with you now and separate. I get that. But, you know, as a baby, you didn't have that yet. You did not yet have language. You didn't yet look in the mirror and say, that's me. That face there is really here. You didn't go outside yourself and see yourself as an object. You were just headless, my language, wide open for your mum and your dad, space for them without thinking about it. And I say that growing up is through language and the mirror and feedback, learning to go outside yourself, turn around, look back at yourself through people's eyes and see yourself with a head and find out which one you are. I look in the mirror and I say, everyone tells me that's me. In other words, imagine Richard's face here, you see. So growing up is kind of going outside and seeing yourself, looking back and seeing yourself objectively as the person you see in the mirror and learning to identify with that, take responsibility for that. You see, my voice now for me is coming out of nowhere, like a child, like a baby. You make a noise, you, you don't know where it's come from. But growing up, I learned to imagine this voice coming out of my mouth and say, this is Richard's voice. I'm over here, you're there. Got that. That's growing up. I am an individual separate from you. I'm out there looking back at myself, acting as if that's me. So just just play with this. Just be open to this, I hope. But then there's a next step. So I say the four steps. The baby, headless, and you don't know anything about having a head yet. And you don't care. The child, where you're starting to learn language and go out and come turn around and see yourself as others see you, but you haven't yet fully got in the box. So you're carefree, open, spacious, except you keep remembering, oh, I'm behind a face, I'm face to face with others, I'm a person. Third stage, the adult, you totally live as if you are what you look like, as if you are the one in the mirror. I'm talking about myself. I'm assuming it's the same for you, but that's up to you. And if anyone in the third stage of the adult said, Richard, I say to someone, I can't see my head. You see, I, I I can't see my head. Everyone would say, well, it's just, so what? You've got one. You just can't see it. So the third stage, I am what I look like. But there's a fourth stage, which is awakening, which is becoming the seer. What does awakening mean? What I mean by it is I reawaken to my own point of view. I've been living as if I am what everyone else sees me to be. I mean, I can't see myself right now. I can't see Richard. I see a bit of his body, but I don't see his face. Now I take that seriously. I don't deny the objective. So then, when I am with you, and I'm with you, I am enjoying consciously being headless, consciously being space for you, consciously having your face instead of my own, consciously enjoying the fact that there's no divining line. I still know from the outside I'm Richard. I'll always know that. But now I've got a kind of two sides to myself. The public, where I'm Richard, I'm aware of Richard on the screen. And the private, this subject, radical subjectivity, which is open, boundless space for the world. Looking out of a single eye. So if you take your hands and hold them in front of you like this, see? And just move them past either side of your head. You'll see them get bigger and disappear. And they disappear into that space I'm talking about. 
you've still got sensations, but you don't see your hands. And you bring them forward and they magically appear out of nowhere, out of your single eyes. It's just one opening. Again, if you don't get a wow, welcome to seeing who you are, which is basically a non-verbal experience, which is kind of neutral, is an observation. If you tried out meditation for 10 minutes, sitting meditation, and after 10 minutes you said, well, that didn't do anything for me. <laughs> I'm going to try something else. That wouldn't. That's not what it's about. Headlessness is the same. If you say, well, it's not doing anything for me. Well, I mean, you've been going about 10 minutes. I tell the image I have, which, which uh, you'll enjoy, I think, is, is like seeing who you are, which is seeing you're transparent, clear, still, like water, or like vodka. <laughs> Did I say that? Because, you see, when people drink vodka, it's clear and tasteless. Apparently, I don't drink vodka. Where they drink it. And you drink a shot and you go, well, that didn't do anything for me. I say, wait, see, wait, and it will deliver. It's the same with meditation. It's the same with seeing who you are, seeing you're headless. Hang out with it, be patient, and it will give you everything you need. You see. All right, so now, how are we doing for time? Is it an hour long? Is it? It's an hour and a half. An so you've got another long. hour, as much of it as you wish to. Okay. Yes. All right, so that the, that's my first response. One response to so what is I'm, I look at you, I'm, lo I'm looking at your faces now. And each face I look at, I'm noticing I, there's no one here in the way. So I, I say to articulate this nonverbal experience, I say, I have you, your face now. This face to no face is very beautiful. It's very loving. I'm built open for you. I'm built open for everybody here. So are you, I think. I think it's our true nature. It's not something you achieve, it's something you relax into because it's just the way you are. And this is profound. If you stay with it, you only do it for a minute and give up and say, you know, that didn't do any good. Well, no surprise. So I am now going to uh, just take you on a little journey here, which will involve closing your eyes, which, but not yet <laughs> I saw Joe closing his eyes and I thought he's going to sleep uh, <laughs> all right there you go okay uh, so I am so concentrate <laughs> I know you're good at concentrating because you know, you've been trained by Joe here um <laughs> <laughs> oh dear anyway I'm going to uh, start visually so this is a guided meditation start visually and then move into non-visual and there are three things that I'm going to ask you to notice about the visual field and then we will apply those ideas to the non-visual, all right? So when you're, uh, you can't see your head now, but you're looking out and you see the view. 
So the view is just what you see, the field of vision. And I'd like you to notice several characteristics about the field of vision. Uh, it's kind of oval or round or something. So take your hands and you just look ahead and then see how your hands disappear all the way around. Okay, so that's what I'm talking about, the view, the single eyes, the single opening. All right? Now, I want you to notice three characteristics of this single eye, this view. Whatever you're looking at. So, I mean, you might look away from the screen, if you like, and just look at an object. And that will be most in focus. And as you look at that object, have what they call panoramic vision or soft eyes or wide angle vision so that you kind of include well that you include in your awareness the whole field of vision and whatever you're looking at is in the center of the view and is most in focus and as you continue to look at it but in widen out include the whole view it gets vaguer and vaguer and more blurry or something and then fades out to where your hand disappeared all right so, when you look at an object, look, just pick any object in the view, it's in the center there, and it's got a boundary. It's got an edge. I'm looking at a shoe. It's got an edge. And the shoe is inside the boundary, and the rest of the world is outside the boundary. And I'm going to call that a hard edge. It's just a, a, an edge, a boundary around that thing. Okay. So now be aware of the whole field of view. That object might still be the one you're looking at in the center of the view, but be aware of the whole field that gets wider and wider above and below and to the left and the right and fades out. And there's an edge there. Now, in fact, take your hand. You still look ahead. Don't look at your hand, but put it in the void. Make it disappear. That's the edge, where it disappears. All right, so you relax your hand there. Now, that edge, does it have anything around it? Is it a hard edge with something on the other side? Or is it a kind of soft edge that fades into nothing? I say it's a soft edge that fades into nothing. So above the field of view, I'm just looking ahead. I'm wide-eyed, soft-eyed, panoramic. Above the field of view, I don't see anything. I take that seriously. I don't actually perceive it. Below it, nothing. To the left, to the right. So I say, this is my language, so you could treat it as poetry, but I say it's, it's describing my observation that the whole field of view is just hanging there in nothing. There's nothing under it, there's nothing around it, nothing above it. It's floating in nothing. It is floating in consciousness, in the void, in your Buddha nature. It's like a miracle. It just there, appearing, I say, without any, you know, just like a miracle. All right, so that's the first characteristic of the field of view I want you to be aware of. It is uncontained. It's floating in nothing. It has a soft edge. It fades out into mystery, into nothing, into stillness. My words on a non-verbal experience. Now, the second thing I'd like you to notice is, is that that one is uncontained. The next one is to do with size. So look at an object 
and compare its size with a second object. And A might be bigger than B or smaller than B or could be roughly the same time size, but it's relative. So A that might be smaller than B might be bigger than C. So look at any two objects and just say to yourself, you know, just recognize which one is bigger. All right, it's relative because the one that is smaller might be bigger than something else. Okay, simple. Now again, come back to the whole field of view. See, there's nothing to attain. This is observation. It's, it's right there in front of you. I'm not asking you to imagine anything. We'll look it up. Now, how big is the whole field of view? Well, there is not a second to compare it with. It's single, the alone, the one. It is a single view, radical subjectivity. I hear about your view, see, but I don't experience it. I take it seriously. I act, you know, I, I take, I believe you, but I just distinguish between hearsay and direct perception. One view. So I can't say how big it is. How wide is the view? Well, at the moment, it's as wide as Joe's room. But if I look out at the sky at night, it's as, as wide as the heavens. I can't say how wide it is. How big it is. So we've got, it isn't inside anything. It's uncontained. It's floating in consciousness. In nothing, no thing, void. Secondly, I can't say how big it is. There's nothing to compare it with. It's single, it's alone. It's, as they say, it's incomparable. The incomparable one. It sounds very mysterious. It's not. It's exactly what you look, you are. Now, the third characteristic is to do with distance. So again, you go back to looking at two objects in the field of view, any two objects, and you can estimate a distance between them. Any two objects, all right? Now, be aware of the whole field of view. How far away is it? Well, anywhere you'd measure from is within the view. How far away is the whole view? I say, I can't say. It, it, it's right here, or it's right there, or it's... It's just hanging in the middle. It has no address, no zip code. Yeah. All right, so it's not contained. It's immeasurable, and it's nowhere. All right, so now what I am going to ask you to do is to explore these three characteristics. So I'm going to guide you with your eyes closed. See? So now close your eyes. And uh, uh, this is a, a, a little bit of a, not exactly artificial, but you know, it's a guided meditation. So be patient, be open, as I'm sure you are. And uh, you're, you're having, you're enjoying someone else's language, that's all, for an experience which is the most familiar I'm not talking about anything new. I'm just giving you another angle on it, my angle, uh, for you to consider and uh, perhaps enjoy. So you've got your eyes closed and you are aware, I, su I suppose, a kind of darkness with, uh, you know, it's not uniform darkness. 
I don't know how to describe it more than just, let's just say darkness, a shorthand. Okay? Now, there's three characteristics. Is that darkness inside anything? Does it have an edge? Does it have an, a hard edge? Where if it's got a hard edge, then it bumps up against something else and it'll be inside whatever that bigger thing is. But if it, as I experience it, uh, the words are inadequate, it, but it has a soft edge and it fades out into nothing or no thing or consciousness, just like the field of vision did. See, so don't spend too much energy looking for a hard edge, I suggest, because you won't find one. So just relax, and it's a kind of unknowable, that edge. And so it just kind of accepting, I just can't, can't pin it down. So it's floating there, so to speak. The darkness is floating there in, in nowhere. Is not contained. Now, the second question is, how big is it? Well, I don't find a second one to compare it with. How wide is the darkness? Radical subjectivity. See, not only going by what others tell you, but distinguishing between what others say and what your experience is. So I can't say how big the darkness is. Now, where is it? How far away is it? From where? See, Well, to round all these up, it's just floating in the middle of consciousness or mystery or nothing. It's not contained. It doesn't have, it's not tied down to a location. If it's located anywhere, it's located in the mystery of consciousness, which is you. See, these are my words. You, you, you're enjoying another perspective here on the on you, on your experience, a, a different articulation. So, let's move to sounds see, and listening, meditation on sounds. And uh, I'm just going to, for shorthand, call it the field of sound. And you've got loud ones and soft ones and near ones and far ones, I suppose. And I can just hear a car there, hear my voice. I've got a sort of tinnitus kind of thing. How big is the whole field of sound? Well going by what we were doing before, there isn't a second to compare it with. Does it have a hard edge? Where is the boundary to the field of sound? If there is one. Couldn't you say that the sounds kind of come out of nowhere? out of silence, fade into silence, or happen in silence. Now, all these sounds, 
I say, are happening in a kind of silence or space or void or your Buddha nature. See, who hears? Who hears the sound of the bird, Bankei? See, who is listening? See, that's just another way of putting it. It's the silence, it's happening in awareness. Now, other sounds happening in a different awareness from the darkness? Well, I only find one awareness, one space, and the darkness and the sounds are happening together in it. Now, I can distinguish between the darkness and the sounds, but I can't separate them into different compartments. They're just arising together in consciousness. My voice is arising in the silence where you are. So now, uh, be aware of your body sensations. Now, in order to help you just put aside uh, your labels, I mean, if I say be aware of your right hand, that's a really useful label because now your attention has gone to that particular sensation or now your left foot. But for the sake of this exploration, imagine you're a baby that's just been born and you haven't even opened your eyes and you don't have language. And that sensation I've called your right hand, you have no label for it yet, no image for it. So just a sensation arising in, in where, you see? Is it inside anything? Well, you haven't got the label yet of your, the image yet of your hand. Well, just be aware of your whole body. Now, obviously, the label, the image is really useful. I've just used that to direct your attention to that aspect of your experience, your sensations. But now, I'm just to put aside the label for the moment, as if you're a baby, you have the whole field of sensation. How big is it? Well, there is not a second to compare it with. How wide is that field of sensation? Not from the label or the memory or the assumption. See, I can't say. Does it have a boundary, a hard edge, where it bumps up against something that is beyond it? I say, no, just kind of like the sounds is in arising in the nothing. Located in the nothing, it, it, I can't, how far away is it? The whole field of sensation, where is it? Radical subjectivity isn't a complicated thing. It's just being aware of the way things are, I would say. Now, we identify with our body sensations quite easily. So if, if I say, I can't say how big the sensation, field of sensation is, I can say, I can't say how big I am. I can't say where I am. I'm in mystery. And I don't find that the sensations happening are happening in a different space or awareness from the darkness or the sounds. It's all going on together in this one undivided awareness that has no characteristics. So it's not a wow, it's not a feeling, it, it's a non-thing. 
in which all things are happening. And I say that you just got to kind of say yes to it. You you can't pin it down. You can't feel it. But here you are. It's you. I say, this is language. You might use different words. So then you attend to your thoughts and feelings. And uh, you might just think of a few numbers to get a few thoughts going. And... Um, where do they come from? Do they come out of uh, something? Or do they like the sounds, those numbers, or you can think of a color or a mountain or a stream or someone's face? These are mental objects, as they call them. Where do they come from? Radical subjectivity. I say, well, I don't know. They just come out nowhere. Like the sound of my voice comes out nowhere. Like the sensations come out of nowhere and the darkness. Now, be aware of, uh, think of a friend and be aware of the affection you feel for your friend. There's a feeling connected with that person. Where did that feeling come from? Doesn't it also just arise out of no feeling? No mind, as the Buddhists call it. And can you separate out the feeling from the face, from the sounds, from the darkness? Isn't it all going on together in this one consciousness, as I say? So you could say, how big, I could ask you, how big are you now in your own experience? Can you say, do you have a hard edge? Does your being, does being have a hard edge? Does being have an address? Does being have an age? You see, you might just think of the the number of years you've been around, you know, your age. There's that number, there's that symbol of age. Doesn't it arise in this ageless space that you are? It does for me. And I think uh, I can say that therefore this void this space, this Buddha nature, this clarity, this stillness is just incredibly fertile and creative because it's got all these sounds and thoughts and feelings and sensations and colors arising miraculously, inexplicably out of it. So I think I can say it's just supremely creative, irrepressibly creative. But there's always something happening in it, coming out of it, going back into it. How big are you? How big is your consciousness? Well, this is the one thing that really, there is no point in a way asking anyone else. This is the one thing that you are, that you are, that you have inside knowledge of now. I say, I can't say how big I am. We think if we can't answer the question, how big are you? You've got to keep looking and you you failed. No, you've, you've succeeded because there isn't an answer but you are it how old are you you see well you've got a, a, an idea how old you as a person are but how old is your being see it's not in time 
this time is passing through this timeless space, I say. And I am convinced that this is the same for us all. Now, what you're thinking and feeling and your life story, that's different. The content of the space is different for each of us. It's a strange, mysterious thing. But the being itself has no name, no address, no nationality. Like Rumi said, there's a field, I'll meet you there. You know, where, where there is no longer you or me. Now, to be aware of that place is to open up to a fantastic resource. And you can't do this wrong. And it's always there. It's always available. And if you don't think about it for two weeks and then you return to it, it hasn't deteriorated. And you don't have to hype it back up. It is full on, 100%. Full power whenever you become aware of it. I mean, no power producing whatever's going on. So I am speaking to you, and I'm over here in Denver, and you're wherever you are. We understand that. That's the public, the objective. But the subjective, the private, is there's only one awareness here, and there's no dividing line, and no distance between, quote-unquote, us. Now, I only have my direct experience. Your experience, for me, is hearsay, but I accept it. But there's a great mystery here, just in case anyone's been asked, how can the one be two? I don't know. But I celebrate it, because that means the one can now talk to itself. I'm talking. Who am I really talking to? I'm really talking to the one. Who is talking to the one? The one, you see. So the one became many to chat to itself. <laughs> and celebrate itself, and then go, wow, I am. Because there's a great mystery here that you are, and I don't think you can explain how you came to be. I don't mean you as the person in the mirror, you know, you, you can explain where you came from, how your mum and ancestors, you know, all of that. I'm talking about your true nature, being, that has no name, and no ancestors, and no nationality and no age. I'm talking about that, which is what you are. There's not something distant. It's what you are now, uh, which cannot be described really adequately or explained. And this is the wonderful mystery that you are. You are, and I say you don't know how you came to be. You cannot explain yourself. And if you think you've failed because you've been trying to explain yourself, no, you've succeeded. It's a kind of radical not knowing out of which comes whatever you need to know in the moment. Is it just inexplicably wise and clever, powerful, skillful? I say. 
You see, there's nothing to do. You're already doing it. It's already happening. So in a moment, I will ask you to open your eyes, but I'm just preparing you so that you can notice what happens. So you, you don't see the room you were in. It's just a darkness. I can't say how big I am. But within this space is, is arising this darkness and sounds and sensations and feelings magically, you see. Now, when you open your eyes, I'm going to suggest that into this mysterious space is going to arise colors and shapes and faces just magically. See, So open your eyes, but... From the point of view of radical subjectivity, the world has just appeared in you. Now close your eyes and the world disappears. You kind of, I mean, you've still got sounds and feelings and all of that, but the visual world, you've just destroyed, so to speak. This is, is it Shakti or Shiva or someone? Yeah. Now you're going to be the great creator. You're the destroyer and the creator. That That is in the tradition when you awaken to your Buddha nature, you tap into these incredible powers. And two of the powers are the ability to destroy and create. So open your eyes. Radical subjectivity, you create the world, the visual world. So now close your eyes, you see? Who? Are you closing your eyes? I don't see eyes closing. I, the world kind of vanishes. Now open your eyes. I don't see two eyes opening. The world emerges. Now I take this seriously. This is all, and this isn't anything new. It's just reinterpreting the facts, isn't it? Or redescribing. See. And I'm looking at you now, and I'm not looking out of a head with two eyes. I am just this open space in which you are happening. So I say, I am you. Just as the sounds were arising in me and the sensations are arising in me and the thoughts and feelings are arising in me, so you are arising in me. And just as I, I could not tell any, I can distinguish between, say, all right, close your eyes. I can distinguish between the darkness and my thoughts about the darkness. But I can't separate them. They're happening in the same space. I can't find a dividing line between the darkness and my thoughts about the darkness or my sensations in the darkness. I can distinguish them in language, but I don't actually find a dividing line. So keep your eyes closed and be aware of the sound of my voice, which in normal language you would say is outside you, and then be aware of the sensation of your tummy, which normally you'd say is inside you. But where's the dividing line between the sound and the sensation? Is one outside and one inside? I don't, they're both inside or both outside. They're both within this one consciousness. Now open your eyes, you see, recreate the world, and look at someone and be aware of the sensation of your tummy. Are they outside you and the sensation is inside you? They're both arising in the one awareness. And so are my thoughts about you. 
My thoughts are not separate from you. They're arising in this one awareness. I can distinguish between my thoughts and you. I understand that. We need to know that, understand that. That's what happens when we grow up. But, but then we don't stop there. We return to our original face, our original experience. See? Without denying what we've learned as, as adults, that's the objective thing. I'm in a head from, for a third person. I'm in a head here. You're in a head there. My thoughts are here. Yours are there. Got that. We need to keep that to function, to be able to talk to the person in the store. But now we move on from just that objective view where I'm separate face to face with you. We add on to it. We reawaken to our own point. We can, we can have both. You don't have to choose between them. You have them both. I am aware I'm, for Joe, I'm Richard, and for me, I'm space for Joe and space for you. And this is fun to have both, to now bring into your life your radical subjectivity without feeling you have to negate or reject or somehow get rid of or calm down your self-awareness, self-consciousness. No, that goes up. That's arising in the space too. So now, from this radical subjective point of view, I can say, I am you. If I can say, I am the darkness, it's arising in me, and I am all these sensations, they're arising in me, I say that, you see. And now I say, all the sounds are arising in me. Not only the, my tinnitus, but all the sound of the bird is arising within me as the space, not me as Richard, me as the space. So once you've got the experience... You can play with language. I say, I am Richard and I am the space. But I'm now talking to people that I believe understand me. So you can say, yeah, I get that. See? So then when I'm with you, I say, you're arising within me. And all my thoughts are about you are arising within me, the space. This is not something you achieve. It's not even something you have to hold on to. You can't hold on to it. It's just the way you are. This is the freedom. It's not something that you have to maintain. Because who could maintain it? I couldn't. But it, it, it is much friendlier than that. It's just what you already are, always are, always available. Can't do it wrong. Can't not be it. And this then means that when I'm talking to you, I'm not talking to people I think are different from me in this respect. It's as available for you as it is for me because it's what you are. You're looking out of it. <laughs> oh, I could go on and on, Joe. <laughs> so it is a real pleasure just to be you. See, that's my language. See, you might you might phrase it differently. Don't get stuck on the words. It's a non-verbal, non-wow. All right, there's two things I'll say here. The first is it's a kind of neutral experience. When you notice you can't see your head, you're not behind a face, you're looking at a single eye. How big is that eye? Can't say. Where is it? Can't say. Is it inside anything? No. All right. And you, you your hands disappear into it. And it's not a wow when I do that. It's just an observation, you see. Or I point. Or I look at you, it's face to no face. Now, essentially, in one way, this is a neutral experience. It's just an observation. So if you go, it doesn't make me feel any better, that's a neutral. Stick with it. Give it a chance. Not a 10-minute meditation that you give up on because you haven't got high. 
right, is an ongoing enjoyment of your true nature. And then you find out what it does for you rather than expecting it to do something in particular because it won't do that. <laughs> so in this certain sense, it's neutral. It's very freeing because there's nothing to keep going. And you can't do it wrong. But in another way, I say, and this is for you to explore, it is just profoundly positive. Because the space isn't just empty, not just new. It is full. It's full of you now, full of the world. And the space does not reject anything. The emptiness here says yes to everything. So the emptiness is welcoming. There's nothing here to reject anything. Because there's nothing. So I'm looking at you as saying yes to all of you. So who you really are is a profound yes. And it's a yes to things you don't like as well as things you like. All right. So that's another question. But so on the one hand, it's neutral. Which is the, the very friendly. Because uh, there's nothing you can miss. Nothing you can't get. Because there's nothing. On the other hand, you can say it's profoundly positive because it is saying yes to everything. And this is infectious. So I I will just um, put it in context for you. When you're a baby, and you were a baby, so this deep in your experience might be unconscious, but when you were a baby, you were headless, pre-verbal. You look in the mirror, that's not you yet. You're like you are now. You're just looking out, single eye, view of the world, all happened, you know, no idea of you behind a face. But you didn't think of it like that because you didn't know anything else. You didn't have language. Look at your mum, you're just space for your mum. Space for the world. Day one, your mum and dad and everyone else reflects back to you what they see you to be at a distance. And from a distance, you have an appearance. At center, you have no appearance, you're nothing. But from a distance, you appear as something. What you appear as changes with range. This is uh, relativity. At six feet, you're a person. But at six miles... You're a, you might be um, a city. And at uh, six, 600,000 miles, you might be a planet. And at a fraction of an inch, you're a cell. So you're like an onion with layers. So your appearance changes with range. Someone comes up to you, they lose your human appearance and get a patch of skin and gets a... All right. So as you're growing up as a child, you're being observed from a few feet. So you appear human. And everyone tells you you're human. And you imagine you're with an infant friend of yours. And uh, you say to your friend, you know this idea that you've got to look in the mirror. You see, your parents point to the face in the mirror and they say, that is what you are here. But you can't see anything here. So you might say, well, no, I'm not. I'm not. That's not me. That's over there. And that's small. And I'm big and I'm spacious. Say, no, we know better. 
That's what you are. You have to learn to take that image from the mirror, flip it around and put it on and wear it like a mask. And you've got to learn to walk around imagining you're behind a face you can't see so that when you look at others, you imagine it's face to face and not face to no face. And you've got to go around being aware of what you look like. Otherwise, you won't be able to function. See, and along with that goes your name and your age and where you live. So you know how to get back home and you know how to eat your food and all of that. So this is the job you've got to do when you're an infant. You realize, you suddenly realize, I'm, you know, I'm playing. You've got a huge job to do. You've got to become a person. Or in a way, you've got to pretend to be a person so well that you believe it's true. You've got, in my terms, you've got to absolutely believe you're behind a face you can't see. Like the emperor's new clothes. So you say to your infant friend, you know this thing about imagining you're behind a face? I can do it for about three seconds and then I forget. I said, I'll never be able to do it. And your friend says, yeah, I'm like that too. I, I can do it for about three seconds and I forget and I'm just open and carefree. So you think, we'll ne never be able to do this. So uh, 10 years later, you're doing it nonstop without thinking about it. You look in the mirror, that's you as an adult. You, you're totally convinced that you're living behind a face. You have a name, an age an address. Now, how did you get there? The way that you managed that seemingly impossible task was that people were telling you 24-7 and you had no option. And of course, you wanted to do it too because that was the way in which you could become a person, which means that you can then drive a car, <laughs> right? Which is the main thing, right? Or just get a job or have a relationship you can't have a relationship if you're nothing because there's nothing to relate to you can't have a relationship if you don't identify with the one in the mirror and identify means it, taking it from the mirror and putting it on and wearing it in imagination and there are two things here one is it's non-stop insistence from the world that you do this and you've no option and and you want to join in, but there's really no option, see. But the other thing is you want to do it, and not only do you receive that information, you give it back. You say, I am Richard. I say, I am Richard, and you are Joe, or you are. You give as good as you take, and that's important. Not just passive, it's, it's actually participating and being res taking responsibility for yourself, all right? So then you get baby, no idea of, your appearance, who you are, don't care. Child learning to get into that box or that imaginary box, but a lot of the time forgetting. Beautiful time where you're becoming self-conscious, but you're not yet fully in the box. So you're still playful, open, creative. Third stage, the adult, which we've all achieved, where you are profoundly convinced you are what you look like. You're in a box, you have a name, an age, you're face-to-face -face and separate from others, and you were born and you'll die. Now, people think that's, that is growing up, and that's it, and then you die. You find out who you are, take, you know, 
take responsibility for being that one and then make the best of it as you can. Now, there's a fourth stage, which is reawakening to your point of view and privately not pretending in a way. I mean, you, I still, you still pretend you're a person. But when I take you through these awareness exercises, these are for directing your attention back to your point of view. And I'm saying, have a look. Do you see your face there? Do you see that surface behind which you're meant to live that separates you from the world? Are you inside anything? How big are you? See, I say, well, when I look, I don't see a head here. I don't see Richard here. I don't see my face here. I'm not behind a surface. I don't find any boundary. It's soft edge, soft being. I'm not inside anything. Everything is in me. So it's the absolute opposite of what I was told. I'm not in the world, the world is in me. I'm not face to face with others, it's face to no face. Now then, you uh, say to your friend, you say, you know this thing about remembering you can't see your head? I can do it for about three seconds and I forget. How on earth am I going to be aware of this 24-7 all the time, you see? It just seems like an impossible impossible job hang out with others the sangha hang out with others who are aware of this who are not just reflecting back to you your separateness your you know you are richard which people will do and always will do and that is important and valid for functioning in the world but they're also like i'm saying to you you're not just that right there you're empty space for the world you've no boundaries just like i have and so we bring this onto into the conversation and into awareness, like you do anything. It's not rocket science. It's the same mechanism, in part, as enabled you to get into your box, into being a person, 24-7 feedback, having friends who are telling you that you are a person, and you join in, see, and say, yes, I am. Well, I, now... Along come friends who say, yeah, that's true, but also from your point of view, you're this wide open space, empty for the world, see, aren't you? And you go, yeah, now there you are. You're getting feedback that you're this one open space, the one, incomparable, all is within you, you see. And you're either silently, I hope, saying, yeah, see, that is like the child when someone says you're Richard to me, I say, yeah, you see, you're starting to say yes to it. Well, when you see this and for you at some level, you say, yeah, that is true. I'm not sure what it means yet, but yeah, that is true. I'm not sure how that's going to help me yet. You don't know how it's going to help you when you become a becoming a person. You find out. You have to say yes to it. You've got to drink the vodka. <laughs> and it's the same with this. You see, if there if there's a kind of if there's a kind of yeah, there's, there's that that I can see that I don't know what it means yet. I don't know how it's going to help me, but um, the sangha is nothing mysterious. It is other friends who are aware of their true nature and who are, I say bringing that into the conversation. So in other words, my role here, my job, 
is to facilitate, in my own little way, a society where being aware of your Buddha nature is normal. Now, I have been around for doing this for more than 50 years. I have hundreds, probably thousands, hundreds of friends I share this with. In my world, it's normal. All my friends are aware of their true nature. See, They can't read your mind. They can't levitate, but they can see their true nature. (laughs) (laughs) And it's normal. And... Part of being in the community and having friends where there's no, is it gets more and more normal, more and more, I mean, extraordinary, but just, yeah, of course, I'm empty for you. Of course, I'm still and the scenery flows through me. Of course, it's face to no face. Of course, I have no boundary. Of course, you have no boundary. Of course, you have no name. Of course, you're the mystery. Like I am. See. Would you like to add anything, Joe? Why can I add everything? (laughs) Any reflections to share from anyone? Richard, it's Mona. Can you hear me? Oh, hi, Mona. <laughs> Hello. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> so good to see you over the screen. Welcome. Yes. I remember the first workshop I took with you. It was a pointing out that blew my mind that I was able to see no one and yes. the great spaciousness. And this time... It was during the time you mentioned to close our eyes and open and the whole world appeared. And I could really see that and and being a person interested in yoga and saying that you are the destroyer and creator at the same time. Um, so your words, your choice of words expanded on that feeling and then say, say, that sensation. And uh, mm. sorry, I did have a moment or wow moment or uh uh-uh moment (laughs) even though it wasn't (laughs) how dare you (laughs) (laughs) oh wow's a great there's a wow moment sorry i'm not a very good disciple i guess (laughs) no i love wow moments and and it it just that is just so brilliant isn't it to the creation and the destroying there i mean it's just so beautiful really 
it really was. That was great. Thank you. I'll yeah. hopefully see you tomorrow on Thursday. Yes, I hope so. I'm going to mute now. You see, and when uh, I speak to everyone now, when someone comes with a reflection, a response from the same place that we're all looking out of, in their own unique voice, like Mona's there, different from my voice, this enriches the conversation. Because there is not one way of thinking about it or describing it. There are everybody's. Because everybody's response to this mystery that we are is obviously valid and obviously different, unique. See, and that is marvelous. And uh, uh, the more that we can begin to get confidence in this and confidence to celebrate it together and speak about it and receive each other's reflections on this mystery that we are, you see, uh, then it, that is part of the process of it, it growing through many voices. It doesn't grow through one voice. It grows like a field of flowers through many. Uh, so, you see, just what Mona said there inspires me, and I think it will inspire you. Say, oh, yeah, oh, my God. That, that, the way that the world appears magically, uh, you could say how you create it. And how you destroy it, that is language, you know, almost poetry, but it yet it describes the way things are. See. Ashley, you've got your hand up. Yeah. Hi, can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Sorry, I have headphones on. So um first of all, thank you so much. That was phenomenal it's so neat i i listened to you on audible <laughs> so it's neat to hear you in person um and it's it's really fascinating because i've come up with some of these like questions and experiences myself but it didn't have this context um and i'm i so i'm i'm with you all the way and i'm wondering though um <laughs> I actually feel kind of bad asking this, but where where is your separation from Buddhism? I, it, and if you don't want to get into that, that's fine. That might be a bigger topic. But more specifically, I'm wondering what you think about um, karma and rebirth and, and really the Bodhisattva vow to liberate all beings. All right. Well, Ashley, um, first of all, uh, I would say that before you see who you really are, which is the most obvious thing, Douglas Harding, who developed this, he said, you don't know what obviousness is until you see who you are. Anyway, before you see who you are, you read the scriptures or you listen to the gurus to see if you've got it right. After you see who you are, you read the scriptures and listen to the gurus to see if they've got it right. <laughs> so, Fair. Yeah. So the authority shifts from others or scriptures to yourself because there's only one who is the authority on who you are, and that is you, you see. And then you can look around and see 
what is going on in something like Buddhism and make your own mind up about what which bit they've got right and which bit they've got wrong. Uh, you, you don't give away your authority on you because you're you, you see. Uh, so um, I think that The headless way is is a language, is a way, is an articulation of the subjective point of view. Uh, but uh, personally, I re- I am very grateful to Buddhism or Hinduism or Islam for their different expressions mm-hmm. of this. At least if they are talking about this, if they're talking about something else, then I don't need that. But I enjoy just as I enjoy. When I'm with friends, and I consider you all friends, I go around making friends, not students. Just as I enjoy uh, listening and sharing and uh, uh, communicating about this together, because other people come up with, like Mona did, or other people express this in a different way. So each religion has a different flavor, I would say, or the different teachers have different flavors. So I'm not having to pick and choose myself. I just I am open to. Oh, that's a really good way of saying it. That oh, that doesn't quite ring true for me, but you know, maybe for someone else. So uh, does that begin to answer your question, Ashley? Yeah, I I am so excited to see you tomorrow. I think you are phenomenal. Oh, Thank you're you. coming tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, marvelous. Oh yeah, wouldn't miss it. Thank you. <laughs> Wonderful. All right. So, uh, hey, Richard, hi, it's Marco. I've, I've done some training with you before, and I just wanted to take an opportunity to just quickly to, to express my gratitude. Uh, you know, for me having, having you here tonight, it's, it's the meeting of these two such important worlds for me, you know, the, the teachings of Dzogchen and the headless way. And I just, uh, yeah, I find the way you teach just just complements, um, you know, my training in the Dzogchen tradition. And uh, I, I don't know if you remember, but in in our tradition, we have a, a protector, a Dharma protector named Ekajadi, and she, you know, she has one eye and uh, you know one waft waft of hair on top of her head, one eye, uh, one tooth, one breast, and really exemplifies. So, you know, when I first, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so when I first did the training with you, and you said, you know, one eye, I was like, oh. I think, I think, I think, you know, you're a manifestation of Akajati. <laughs> so I just wanted, I, I, I just, I just wanted to say how grateful I am that, that you're here tonight. And, um, you know, in, in our tradition, we, we say to teachers, you know, may you continue to turn, we say the wheel of Dharma. So may you continue to share and teach the head this way, because I think it really does change lives in profound ways. So thank you so much. Lovely to hear from you, Marco. And thank you for speaking there. And, uh, sharing all of that that's uh, that's lovely to hear and lovely to connect with you uh, marco there richard here in the great mystery right exactly yeah anyone else look at that we're right on 7:30 so hi richard uh my name is rich i'm richard as well it's Great to meet you and hear you expound on the concept that Joe has run by us. It was outstanding. And I can't wait to see you tomorrow. Ah, 
I don't know if it's appropriate to ask a question that's similar to Ashley's. Yeah, ask a question, Rich. Okay. Uh, how does this concept interact with karma? That uh, may sound really ignorant. I'm just trying to wrap my not, mind around Not at all, no, I, Rich, not at all. Uh, I, I, I'm just not much of an authority on karma. So that's why I was hesitating. Um, I, I think that, uh, again, um, like I said to Ashley, that you before you see who you are, you study the traditions to see if you got it right and what is the truth and all of that. But I say after you see uh, who you are, you realize that uh, the tra traditions are, you realize that you are the authority on you. And so then you will explore things like karma, not from the point of view is you've got to somehow manipulate your experience to fit into those ideas. But you see which part actually is true for you and which is not. Yeah. And uh, I mean, first, I, I don't know much about karma, but as much as I can imagine what it might mean, what happens to me? You know, simply being here now, I, I can't explain. I, I, you know, okay, I got on the plane and I met Joe 20 years, but, you know, the whole thing arises out of nowhere, out of mystery. So uh, they take it way back and where does karma come from? I can't, out of the mystery. Well, it's coming out of the mystery now. And and it, it, so uh, it's not locked in to a kind of if you do this that's going to happen. It, it the void that I am is surprising. Uh, it is uh, undomesticated. <laughs> it doesn't obey the rules, even karma. I think you know whatever that is, but I don't know what it is. So I'm not making a judgment on that idea. I'm just saying, for me, I love the spontaneity of the void, the power of the void, the irrepressible creativity of my true nature, the freedom of it, the absolute kind of wild freedom of who you really are. And don't we want that? You know, don't oh. we want to be free? Don't we want to be wild? Don't we want life to, life to be an adventure? You see, I would say that you see who you are here, you realize that your true nature cannot be harmed. You're totally safe because, I mean, everybody now, just close your eyes for a moment and make your hand into a fist so it's tense. Now, does that tension affect the space of your true nature? Well, no. See, it doesn't, it's tense and it's a good idea to take care of yourself. So now relax your hand so there's something you can do to ease the tension. But the space isn't affected either way, so you can open your eyes. So, you know, when when challenges come along, do what you can to solve them, obviously. But, you know, but then at the same time, see that nothing threatens your true nature. So when you realize nothing threatens your true nature, it doesn't mean to say that now you don't fix the car or the roof or your broken toe, right? You still, in two-way, you op still operate in sensible ways there, but now back of that is you, kind of at home. You're safe, right? At the same time, what is arising within it 
it can be so unexpected. Now, that we want too. This safety by itself, after a while, you'd think, oh, come on, let's go and do something, right? Let's go out for an event. That You've got both. In this direction, nothing happens. Nothing happens. In that, everything happens. And you've got both. You don't have to choose. You don't have to do nothing only. You don't have to do something. You've got both. So you're both at home, safe, unaffected by karma, right? Free. See, at the same time, you're living this wild adventure of life. I mean, all the time things are happening in my view that I don't expect, I can't predict. Often that I don't like, but, you know, that's an adventure, isn't it? <laughs> adventure involves things you don't like. Adventure involves danger. If there's no actual danger, there's no adventure. You know, it's just a walk in the park, you see. And adventure involves the unexpected. Like, it's a page turner because you don't know what's coming next. So you take it. That's life. So seeing who you are is is not dropping out of life. It's dropping in. But with this safety, this this uh, absolute self-evident safety, you see, refuge, refuge. But the refuge is not a retreat from life. The, you're seeing the space includes everything, right? So it's saying yes to it. You know, it's hands on. I was when I uh, we're flying up from San Francisco to Portland, uh, you know, before the gathering I've just did. And, um, you know, there's a point where everybody sat down in the plane, the door is closed, and the air hostess says, all right, let's do it. Right? Let's do it. We, This is the point. No more waiting around. We've got to do it. Go for it. That is seeing who you are. See, that is like, let's do it now. Right? I can see you smiling. Do you like the sound of that? Oh, well said. I had you gave me a wow moment. <laughs> I what? It was a wow moment. Ah, it is a wow. Moment. <laughs> it is. Thank you. Life is a wild moment. Very, Life is a wild moment. Gracious things. That was outstanding. Yeah. And uh, you you see, I've just led a four day gathering. So a lot happens when you've got a lot of people together doing this and doing all kinds of things. But, you see, when it's over, just like now, be the space and see what is happening now, right? It's fresh. It's Thank new. You. Yeah. It's always new. It's always new. See, uh, I, I, talk, I saw ages ago a program with... Um, uh, what's her name? Somebody Goodman. She, she was an English person who went out to East Africa to uh, study chimpanzees. Jane Goodall. Jane Goodall. And in this program, she was talking about these chimpanzees, wild chimpanzees that she was studying. She was trying to figure out. She was working with a guy called Leakey, who was trying to find the kind of missing bones, links between. Our ancestors, chimps and that, and humans. See, so just the evolutionary thing, the missing links. And she went out as a teenager with her mum to study the 
behavior of chimpanzees to see if there was a behavioral similarity between chimpanzees and humans, which would indicate that somewhere way back, we were the same and split, but kept those behavioral characteristics, you see. So just a observation thing. But anyway, she cut a long story short. She observed that these, I think it may be on YouTube as well. I, you know, filmed some of this, but anyway, she observed that each evening these chimpanzees would go and look at a waterfall. And when they were looking at the waterfall, they they rocked from foot to foot. And Jane Goodall interpreted it as a kind of dance. Now, it's an interpretation of behavior, but her interpretation, it looked like what humans would do. We kind of, a bit kind of a dance, you see. And then she, and this is her own interpretation, but she said, because the chimpanzees had gone to look at this waterfall. So you've got to imagine it. They're looking at the waterfall. They go, don't go there to drink water. They don't go there to sleep. Or, you know, they just go and look and they do this little dance. And she said that she thought that the dance, what the chimpanzees were observing, see the interpretation, they were looking at this waterfall and the water was always coming in, right? But it was always going out. But it was always there. So that is weird, isn't it? It's always coming in. It's always going out, but it's always there, you see. So it was mysterious. So in the face of this mystery, they did a dance. They didn't write a thesis. <laughs> they danced, you see. So my observation, you're looking out of the great void now into the present moment. This present moment is always coming in fresh, isn't it? And it's always going out, isn't it? But it's always there. So Outstanding. I well, thank you. Response to this mystery of being is to dance. Super. <laughs> thank you, sir. Well, a pleasure to be with you all, a pleasure to be you, and I'm going to hand over to the master now. <laughs> <laughs> a pleasure to be you. <laughs>